All right, my Gamecock brothers and sisters, nice to be back with you. J.C. Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Shoo! It has been uh, quite a week. Um, as you guys know, I own and operate the Bigspur.com and am a contributor there, insider there, I guess. And uh, during this time, and, and I told some, for some friend of, a friend of mine, I will never be this busy, but every five years if there's a coaching change, and hopefully – you know, there, there's not a coaching change for a while uh, after this one. So I think that, um, you know, you guys can certainly understand that. When, when we started the Big Spur in 2007, that was Spurrier's, you know, third year. And then he went on for a while, about eight years. Uh, I think we had two basketball searches during that time and and I think a baseball search and an AD, AD changeover. But, uh, you know, this is the second one in, in four years and some change, five years. And uh, it's busy. It's a lot busier than the other one. I feel good about it. I feel good that we have a beat on, um, you know, just some, uh, you know, uh, maybe as a site organization, we have, you know, I don't want to say better sources, more sources uh, than we did last time. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that uh, just as, a, as an organization, we've handled it. But I've had to neglect my podcast audience. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Mike Morgan and I, uh, I just took the JC and Morgan that we recorded yesterday because we got heavy into the Gamecock search. And, um, you know, I know that the the two audiences are not the same for the podcast. Uh, so I threw that out for you guys uh, and then wanted to get right back because we have a lot of mailbag questions right here, uh, dating back to last month, November. So I uh, wanted to get to the, all those. Uh, you can get to the mailbag two ways. You can tweet to uh, at the Big Spur Pod, or you can uh, email or inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Um, you know, and, and so there we go. So there we go. Um, all right. So here we go. Who is Monica? All right, Monica. Geez, that, that's a, that's not a, uh, I got a spam email from, from somebody named Monica. First one off the bat saying, hey, you want more five-star reviews? It's $80. No. I believe in the power of the Game Cognition uh, to do that. Um, all right, so Keith. Keith is a uh, normal emailer, so let's do this. He says, Ray Finkel is Einhorn. I'm listening to your podcast episode and heard you go off on some troll named Ray Finkel. Do you realize that's the name of the character from Ace Ventura? Finkel is Einhorn. I know. And I almost said that uh, the other day. I knew that was his Raymond Finkel. And it's uh, he's got the picture uh, right there in his, um, in, in his uh, I guess, profile picture. Uh, and I almost saw the lyrics to the crying game or whatever. <laughs> but uh, wasn't really worth it. And, and, and Finkel's not a troll. Um, obviously he doesn't want to put his real name on things and he's con- my, my, my issue with him as a, as a tweeter, uh, is, is not that he doesn't care because he keeps up with everything and all that. And I appreciate the passion. Uh, he's just unbelievably critical of Frank Martin and, and people like that get on my nerves. I uh, just, every single little thing that could be an issue with Frank Martin is just like, nah, nah. and, uh, we'll talk about Frank, uh, at some point, get back into basketball. Gamecock started one and one, and they got a top ten road matchup Saturday against Houston. Um, but uh, I, you know, every little thing about Frank just bothers the guy. Boo, 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 and I'm just like, oh man. Uh, but yeah, and he listens, and I appreciate him listening. But I, I did get the reference; I just didn't go into it a whole lot. Dale um, says, JC, I felt a little bad for you during the last podcast when you saw you had no mailbag questions. Yeah, just kind of, I guess I answered everything on the big spur or whatever. It was almost as if you had a little disappointment in your voice. I did. As for the game, I'd like to point out some positives, though they may be few. Number one, for us to be without Izzy and Horn, I would say that they looked okay on defense. I agree. I think J.C. Horn's a big loss. I think Izzy McQuamu right now and, you know, wishing the best going forward. Uh, and certainly played well against Georgia last year. I think it's addition by subtraction as it relates to this year's team. He hadn't been good all year um, at all, and, and there's no other way to spin it. I think you know, Johnny Dixon and Cam Smith are better, uh, and so that's addition by subtraction. He said, we looked okay on defense. 
it almost looked to me as we had more fight the last two games than we have all year long. I agree, especially defensively. The defense was so undermanned, you know, and it's going to be this weekend too. Um, you know, you got Rodriguez Fitton who, you know, hadn't played a lot at all. He's out there making plays and look pretty good. And, you know, it, it's good to see the young guys. And when you're in this situation, you know, you kind of look at it you're like 45 points. They went up and down the field. But what you're looking for is that individual fight. Number two, offensively, we have some bright spots. Receivers are magically catching the balls right now. They, they do seem to be catching it better. I agree. Doty had a rough night, but you can see the potential. He has to be a great quarterback. I think so, too. With a full year of prep and development, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and I think that, you know, whoever comes in and gets the job, you know, they're going to have to look at that and look at Gunnar Stockton and maybe even hit the transfer portal for a, for another sort of dual-threat guy um, if that's the scheme and system they want to run. Uh, lastly, I've been wanting to ask your opinion on something all year long but always seem to forget due to the season we've had. Since the departure of Spurrier, we seem to be lacking swagger on defense. I remember watching DJ Swearinger put a big hit on the Clemson player and then getting a personal foul for unsportsmanlike conduct when he flexed on him. Our defense always seemed to be confident and excited. Once Muschamp came in, it all seemed to go away. I look at all these other teams like Georgia that has the shoulder pads when they get the takeover or Missouri with the cape. Why don't we do something like that? Do you feel the same way or have a different view? That's kind of up to the coach. Uh, you know, the turnover chains and all that good stuff people have. People do it sometimes. And, you know, sometimes the, when those defenses get rocked, it's uh, it's embarrassing. So I, I don't know. But, but as far as the swagger goes, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that Muschamp's defenses at Carolina never played with swagger. I, I think it was, you know, you look at it, and, and one thing I was told was that Ellis Johnson's defense was very simple to learn, um, and he just designed it so his guys could go play hard and fast, and they sort of let the chips fall where they may. Uh, you know, Ellis was pretty good about stopping just about anybody, you know, but he did run into some teams like Bobby Petrino when he was coaching Arkansas that Ellis struggled with or that defense struggled with, but the guys always played hard and fast. Um you know, and when they had talent, it was a thing of beauty. So I, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree. I, I think the defense does need to play with some swagger. I, I think when you're getting your brains beat in, that's hard. I think when you're thinking too much, that's hard. I think when you're not together as a team within the organization, that's hard. Uh, and, and that third thing I mentioned, I think is the most important thing when it comes to South Carolina, what needs to be fixed. There's, there's a fracture right now, uh, surprisingly enough, a fracture. Uh, with the program and you know like I was told today by a good source uh, some healing has to be done uh, with those players so uh, good stuff appreciate that Dale uh, Mitchell says JC I hope you had a great Thanksgiving two questions about the future of the program right now the Gamecocks are 92nd in recruiting and last in terms of 2021 um, yeah, don't worry about that team ranking right now. It's going to be ugly. It's not where you are now. It's where you're going to finish. And with a coaching transition, that's to be expected. With most kids committed for 2021 early signing period, do you expect whoever gets hired to try to focus on the second signing period and the one-time transfer rule that the NCAA is supposed to pass? Yeah, I think they'll go heavy there. Um, I, I do. I think that this roster, as far as rec this recruiting class and then the transfer situation and then – Going in and working on 2022, you're going to have an avalanche of, and I guess you call it recruiting, but it's also recruiting is about roster. You're going to have an avalanche of roster stuff, you know, starting probably as soon as the new coach is hired, uh, recruiting and all this other stuff and blah, 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 blah. Um, he says, I can guarantee you coaches like Dabo, Saban, and others of looking at film of some of the better players. They do decide to enter the transfer portal, preparing on how to recruit them. You know, I, I don't know how much Clemson and, and I know Alabama will take a transfer if they need one. Uh, it's all about the numbers there. It's going to be interesting to see if Dabo comes off the no transfer policy. They, they don't take transfers up there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they do um, and, and what happens there. But, yeah, Mitchell, the, the, the whole roster recruiting thing, that's going to be something that's – ongoing and and I don't, I don't even know if Carolina will get everything squared away until May or Juneish you know something like that so you can kind of uh 
you know, that's the deal. Um, let's go, Mark. Criteria to examine. Struggling teams from Urban Meyer. Have you listened to Urban Meyer's Three Keys to a Struggling Team? I'm not a big a fan of the guy, but he's a hell of a coach. And his reasoning makes a lot of sense. Trust issues, dysfunctional environment, and selfishness. Maybe it's not all about hiring the right guy, but the right guy to establish a culture of winning not only today, tomorrow, years to come. Yeah, and I want to post this on the Big Spur because this goes back to a conversation I had earlier today. There's some healing that has to take place. Um, and and I don't know that you'd call it a dysfunctional environment. Uh, and I don't know that, that trust issues maybe play a factor. Um, I, I do think some selfishness was taking place, and I think it was facilitated by – you know, the focus on, you know, maybe more of the individual. And, and you even look at things like that the, the social media team puts out and with Justin King and those guys. And and I'm not being critical of those guys at all. You know, I think they do they've, – they've taken it to the next level. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily the work because the work is great. It's the message. And I think that the new staff needs to – or the new coach, head coach, because the head coach sets the priority, needs to come in and say, look, you know, this is the outward facing part of our program and it needs to be about South Carolina. You know, it, it doesn't need to be about the individual, you know, when you get your butt kicked, you don't need to have highlights of individual highlights of players, no matter how great the play is. I mean, look, Brian Edwards made a hell of a catch at Tennessee last year. That was the worst game of that. That was the beginning of the end for me with the Muschamp era. And yet we see that play over and over and over again. You know, not that you should never show it, like on a highlight package for a season, but look, you lost, you know, and, and, and that's the bottom line is winning and losing. And I think that's why you have a football program. A, a football program, uh, you know, there are very few guys, you know, even at Alabama and, and programs like that that go to the NFL, okay, that can make a living playing the game. You know, part of the great things about football is it does, it's not just – you know, a job to clock into. It teaches you about life, and those life lessons really have to do with winning and losing as a team. You know, the great thing about football is there's a place for big people, small people, fast people, short people, tall people, all body types, uh, and they work together as a team uh, to get things done, and you win and lose as a team, and you learn lessons from them. And I think that that's you know, the outward facing message that, that every kid on the roster looks at needs to be a hundred percent focused on something along those lines and, and not along like individual hype when you're losing, when you're winning, that's fine. You know, and, and then look at everybody put out a Jadevian Clowney highlight tape and Carolina was winning then, um, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, when, when you have a guy, you know, like, like Izzy McQuamu, who I mentioned, who really did have just one good game last year and had a lot to work on, had the potential, but a lot to work on, you know, and, and he's just a kid. But, you know, you sit there and read like like you've arrived with one game. There's not a football player on earth that's good that does that. And he'll learn that once he gets to the pros, if he gets drafted or if he gets on a roster. Because you have to do it for, for real then. And so – I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, that's the thing, you, you, you know, that, that's missing right now is, is a, a focus on team. And I think Mike Bobo's done a great job trying to kind of rally the troops. You can only do so much as an interim, but I think the new guy, uh, Mark, like you said, that those three keys are going to have to be addressed and, and, and you've got to create a new team-based culture at South Carolina. And, and it, you know, it's not just Justin and his group, though. It's the whole organization. Um, cause I think they, you know, I don't want to say took some shortcuts. I, I think, you know, there's nothing in the trophy case to point to when you're recruiting. So maybe some of the focus was on individual development in the name of recruiting. And I get that cause you need players, but those players are not going to win football games. Uh, if you're not focused on teams, so, so there has to be a way to do it. Uh, and, and I've noticed most of the time, if you're on a pretty good team and you play well and you're a good teammate and you develop and listen to your coaches, you, you can make the NFL and it's easier to do that. So um, that's, that's one of the things that needs to change. And you're right. I'm going to actually save that email mark and use it as something on the big spur. Appreciate it. 
Bo. Tiny Tanks Bo. Man, I like that nickname. JC, I really appreciate the podcast. Instead, hand on the tiller of the SS Gamecock, Rear Admiral Bill, who you know as Captain Bill, and I discuss the multiple podcast times a week, and it provides encouragement and a sense of normalcy in these strange times. Prior to the UGA, UGA game, I reached out to a well-connected friend there, and he shared the following, following input. During Beamer's time as UGA's tight ends coach and special teams coordinator, let's not say tight ends coach all the time. That's, that's something that people want to hang on, Shane, but that's not fair, but that's okay. His impression is, is he's not a front man and actually a little bit of a wallflower. He did agree he was a tireless recruiter, but didn't feel like he demanded the attention of the room. Thoughts on Beamer's ability to command the room? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a pride. I think he'll be fine in that department. Wallflower, I'd not Shane Beamer. Not the Shane Beamer I know. So uh, it's funny how Georgia fans have all these opinions of every coach that leaves, though. Um, you know, oh, I couldn't recruit. You know, they said that about Tracy Rocker. And it's funny because they said, well, Tracy Rocker could not recruit and lost Aubrey Solomon to Michigan. So therefore, Kirby fired him. And so he goes to Tennessee and Aubrey Solomon leaves Michigan uh, and immediately transfers to Tennessee to play for Tracy Rocker. <laughs> so, I don't know, you know, bless these Georgia. And, and look, Beamer was special teams coach there for the team that almost won the national championship. They were very good on special teams. Um, he, he was there two years. So I, don't, I don't know that he had time to really make an impact, but commanding the room, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, we'll have to see. I, I think most people that want to be head coaches do that. I've heard Shane Beamer speak multiple times. Um, I think he can command the room just fine. I would assume you got no sense of that when he was here under Spurrier. Is that why he gets the tag of a CEO type coach? But a CEO needs to have gravitas. Most coaches, most good head coaches are good CEOs. Um the, the reason they talk about that with Shane is he's definitely a guy that's uh, not going to call his own plays and going to have coordinators and, and stuff like that. You know, unlike a guy, you know, less like Gary Patterson, you know, he's a CEO coach, but he's also, he also calls his own defense, you know. Um, he's got that side of the ball. You know, you go back to Steve Spurrier, obviously he's going to have you know, offense, um, you know, Dabo Sweeney is the CEO type coach. You know, he's the head coach and he has guys that work for him that do the other stuff and, and all that good stuff. So that's every coach is a CEO to a certain extent, but I get that with with Beamer. Um, that's why, you know, because he's he's not a not a guy that's uh out there. He's you know, Urban Meyer is kind of that kind of guy, you know, CEO type coach. Furthermore, I would assume Beamer is the most networked and would have the best chance of establishing the best support staff. Is that a characteristic where he is a clear leader in our coaching search? They are impressed with the staff that he wants to put together um, and his connections. He's got a what, I, what you call a big Rolodex. He knows everybody. Uh, and he's respected. And people think he is, a, you know, it's not just like, hey, Shane's a great guy we can sit down and hang out with. Because, you know, to, to be honest with you, Muschamp was a great guy you can sit down and hang out with. A lot of these guys are. Um, but they, they respect him as far as his knowledge of the game and he's ready to be a head coach. And that, that it does matter if you can put together a staff and that does make sense. All coaches have to make good hires with OC and DC. I never understood how Muschamp, recognized defensive genius, could ask Roper or McClendon for their game plans and not tear them apart in the interview process. My take was that Will was a good judge of talent and recruit and bad in the coaching circle. He needed help. Um, there are just there's some things he probably could have done different, but you know I also think that there were some things where you know Roper and and B Mac and 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 then Bobo on aligned with his vision for the program or his idea of what he wanted to do. Um, you know I I think that by the time Rope, Bobo got there, you know he was probably getting away. You know and it's you know it's crazy to think because B Mac when Bentley was there in 2018, they, they had games where they were very explosive on offense uh, and nothing wrong with the game plan at all or what they were doing. And then they would kind of go on a tank, a very inconsistent. Um, 
but I think after the to 2019, which still, you know, just the bottom just fell out because you know McClendon couldn't really didn't really know how to dial him up for a true freshman quarterback who ended up not being all that good anyway. Um, yeah, I think I think at that point Muschamp was like, well, shoot, you know, we we've got talent coming back on defense and. Uh, we need to protect the defense and we need somebody that can run the ball and throw it and do a lot of different things and be different. And that's Mike Bobo. Um, and, and unfortunately the defense falls apart this year while, while Mike Bobo's got the offense with bubble gum and, and tobacco, you know, chewing tobacco spit and, you know, bubble wrap and, and tape and, and, you know, trying to piece it together. And when your defense is giving up half a hundred, that doesn't matter. Um, does Ray or any AD play in a role in, in who the head coach hires with his support staff? And if so, does Ray know how to hire a good OCDC? No, uh, no, no athletic writer does that. Jeremy Foley at Florida, there's a rumor that Jeremy Foley said, uh, you know, if, if you hire Charlie Weiss as your OC, we'll give you the job. I don't know. I think he strongly recommended Charlie Weiss, which was a mistake for most champ to make. Uh, but no, Ray's not going to sit there. Ray's job is to hire the head coach, and um, and then let the head coach hire the the, the coordinators and, and deal with his staff. No, no AD that's any good is going to sit there in the office and you know say, all right, I, I want these coordinators, I want this, I want that. You know, so, sometimes there, there are things like at Arizona State when they hired Herm Edwards, the the AD who, who I, I believe you know because they. You know, they're not losing badly like people thought, and they have recruited well. I think he thinks, you know, that, that, that he's a revolutionary or whatever. They hired Herm, and, you know, they were like, you're going to be the figurehead and recruit, and then we're going to give you coordinators. One of his coordinators was Billy Napier until Napier got the Louisiana job. Uh, and so in situations like that, maybe the AD gets involved with assistant coach hires, but but not Ray and not anybody in the SEC. Uh Thanks again for all you do, and I really appreciate the content you and your staff provide. Tiny Tanks Bo, TTB, thank you, my friend. I appreciate uh, that very thorough email, and I hope I answered your questions correctly. All right, so Mitchell chimes in. He says, JC, seems like there could be a lot of action on the coaching search front. Do you think this is the week to get our popcorn ready? Yeah. This email came in earlier, obviously. I have a theory. I think it's a great thing for Shane Beamer to be seriously considered for the head coaching position, even if he doesn't get it. From his point of view, he gets his name out there, goes through the process, and possibly puts a little pressure on Virginia Tech. On Tanner and Kaslin's side of things, they have a leader in the clubhouse. It also doesn't mean this is a done deal. What do you think Beamer ranks on the list? At the time you sent this, Mitchell, he was he was probably clear-cut number one. Uh, I would say, obviously, co-number one with Billy Napier right now. Uh, or is it more accurate to say he's top three? Could it be a smoke screen? I, I don't think he was a smoke screen. I, I think it's Napier sort of, uh, you know, maybe ra- rallying around, getting over COVID, getting things together with his team, and then focusing on whether or not he wanted the job. And that's because of the change. Or, or that's the reason for the change with Napier. Uh, keep in mind, Billy Napier's been a guy that's been on Ray Tanner's list for a long time. And, and as has Shane Beamer, as has, has Scott Satterfield, and those guys are the final three. So it's uh, it's one of those things. Um, Tanner strikes me as the type of guy that will keep his mouth shut and block the outside noise, yes. Caslin has had a couple of PR missteps at South Carolina. Yeah, but he isn't saying anything about this. He hadn't even commented, uh, except for the day Muschamp got fired. Do you think we all will be totally shocked when they announce a new head ball coach? After all, most sitting head coaches do not appreciate their names being mentioned with a current open job in season before any signing day before for many reasons. I, I you know, I, I think it's Napier, Beamer, Satterfield, uh, Florida offensive coordinator Brian Johnson. Um, probably when you sent this Mitchell, Neil Brown was still a name in the mix. He he has since said he's staying at West Virginia. Um, so that's where things stand. I you know, look, will they announce Hugh Freeze on Monday or something? I don't know. You know, I, I can't, I mean. I would be, I would be, that would be something shocking for me or, or just somebody out of left field. But I, I still think it's Napier or Beamer uh, trending toward Napier right now. Charles says, 
JC, I have a question relating to next year. Uh, do you, besides Vanderbilt, do you think South Carolina has the worst team in terms of outlook and potential for next year's season? Thanks to keep up the great work from Australia, Charlie. Now I wouldn't get that down, Charlie. I, I would, I would say that, um, you know, it's a deal where it depends on who comes back, who's coaching them and who comes in, uh, and the transfer portal, to be honest, uh, you know, in and of itself has changed things. Uh, and then you combine the fact that they're going to pass this new rule uh, about instant transfer eligibility, and that's going to change things even more. So, so we're entering, even without a coaching change, into a Wild West offseason where it's not out of the question to put it together. Now, you know, I look at next season, the, the SEC has not released the schedule yet because they had enough problems getting the one out this year. And so there's all these questions. For, for example, Auburn's supposed to come to South Carolina again next year. Are they going to make Auburn come to Carolina two years in a row? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so you don't know. You know the first two games are Eastern Illinois and uh, at East Carolina. And, and so I look at that. Uh, that's, a, that's a good first goal to look at. You know, Carolina needs to go start 2-0 and next year. Uh, and then you just sort of go from there. But, yeah, that's uh, – I wouldn't get so down about that, Charles. I, I know it looks bad right now, but, heck, you know, heck, the, the, even with all the players missing, uh, I don't think they uh, – uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a great chance to beat Kentucky this weekend, but maybe they do. Um, and, um, you know, there's there still could be a bowl game, believe it or not. So, Jason says – JC, I don't know how you keep dealing with our fan base on the coaching search. <laughs> My feeling is that with no matter who we hire, it's a roll the dice type thing, unless it's a triple option guy. No, yeah, that's not happening, thankfully. No one at any school knows if a coach they're going to hire is going to work out. I'm sure it's just because of the internet, but have you seen our fan base more divided than now? I truly believe that if we just put garnet face mask and the larger Gamecock on the white helmets, we won't have to worry about anything else within the football program. Thanks for the info on TBS and the podcast, Jason. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, opinions about the coaching search. And a lot of people, you know, after Muschamp, and look, I'll be honest, and I'll, I'll own it. You know, I thought that Will Muschamp, um, you know, you looked at him and, and you looked at what kind of coach he was, you know, considered before he took the Florida job. And, and you just look at Florida and you're like, well, they had a lot of good players and a lot of guys went to the NFL. They were good on defense. Their offense just stunk. So, hey, it, it's a turnkey solution. You fix the offense. Here we go. Well, you know, then he hired Kurt Roper, and you're like, well, maybe Roper was there. And, you know, things never changed. And as you went further along, you know, you start to realize it's not just the offense. You know, there were some things that just did not work, and and, and we find out more and more all the time. Now, Will Muschamp's a good guy and a smart guy. You know, he, he just made – there were more mistakes than just the offense, and I think that – you know, given that Muschamp knows a lot of football, he knows a lot more than I do, uh, and, and can talk it and, and is a personable guy and has a, has a great vision when he kind of talks to you about it, um, you know, that, that's why he got hired. But but I'll own it. I, I supported the hire. I thought it was, a, you know, a good hire if these things changed. And a lot of things didn't change. And they come to find out the things that needed to change, that wasn't all that needed to change. You know, it, it was sort of an iceberg situation. Is, is You see what's on the surface. You're like, well, it's that size of iceberg, so I'm going to navigate this close to it, but you don't know what's under the water. Um, and I think I've used that analogy a lot, probably too much. Um, so, so the fan base, you know, that and the fact that, you know, Clemson is winning national championships right now, uh, they're shell-shocked. And so the, the majority of the fans, and they really, you know, Shane Beamer's been the most divisive guy and it's simply because the guys that want him have no doubt that that's a good good hire I personally have no doubt it's a good hire um but then the guys that that want a guy with head coaching experience or just just trash him you know and trash everybody that thinks that um and I don't think I don't think Shane Beamer Billy Napier uh Scott Satterfield I I, I can I can make a case for all of them you know um, and so that's what's divisive about it is people have very strong feelings either way about Shane. Um, and so that's the deal. I do hope that 
when, when the hire's made, if it is Shane Beamer or Bill, who, whoever, if it's not your guy, that you get behind the guy. Uh, because like I was told, this, this program has some healing to do right now. Um, you know, there needs to be a more sense of togetherness and team. And you need the fan base, which is, you know, for 125-plus years, 130 years, is all, you know, rode in the same direction and been overwhelmingly supportive. You need the fan base to continue to do that um, uh, because that's that's one of the things that sells South Carolina uh, is the loyal fans and, and all that. But, yeah, of course, after going through something like that, they're going to be divided. And, and, the, and, the, and, and not so much what's been happening at Carolina – but but what's been happening around them, you know, around I mean, you know, you, you even look at North Carolina getting it together with Mac Brown now. Part Mac Brown part two. <laughs> you know, it's just like, man, what more could happen? You know, you've seen Clemson and Georgia play for national championships, Clemson win two. Yeah, that that's tough to swallow because early early two thousand and tens, South Carolina was was probably demonstrably probably better than both those programs uh for about two or three years. So it's tough. I, I get it. But I agree with you, Jason. Uh, uniting the fan base is going to be important no matter who gets the job. Um, all right. So Mitchell has a couple of more. He says, JC, no matter who the next head coach is, do you think a new head coach would be wise to keep some of the most popular and trusted recruiters on the staff? Is this year different because of the transfer portal and COVID? If yes, who would be the staff members in your opinion? I believe, uh, you know, whoever gets it should definitely keep Bobby Bentley and probably Des Kishings. Uh, I can make a case for some other guys too. I mean, if you, if you, you know, I think if you're Billy Napier and you don't want to call plays, you know, Mike Bobo's offense is similar to yours, you know, probably a little bit more wide open at times, a little bit more diverse. You know, you maybe think about keeping him. Even Shane Beamer could keep him. Um, it just depends on what they want to do. Uh, defensively, you know, Rod Wilson, has he been there long enough? I mean, he's an alum, can also coach special teams. Uh, and then Mike Peterson, you know, and, and those are the two guys on defense I, I think that you would consider. But, you know, I, the defense has just been so down this year. You know, it's hard for me to, like, uh, to, to, to get it. I, I do think Mike Peterson um, – and uh, Rod Wilson probably would be worth, you know, looking at. But definitely offensively, I think it, at the very least, Des Kitchings and Bobby Bentley need to stay. Mitchell says again, first, the name of the board of trustees is a misnomer. We can't trust them not to screw anything up. What's the skinny on them asking Tanner and Castle to report a, fr- power, uh, a hire by Friday? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think it was just maybe some BOT members saying – Oh, you know, we're going to demand this. And then, you know, because they may be mad because they were out of the loop or whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, but that's not going to happen. So thanks for that there, Mitchell. Richard says, number one, assuming by the time you get to this question, Shane Beamer and Jamie Chadwell are still in the mix for the head coach. Uh, who do you think is most capable of assembling the best team of coaches that will be the most competitive in the SEC? I think that's Shane Beamer. I, you know, Chadwell – the sell with him is Jamie Chadwell, you know, as a head coach, call, play caller, was one everywhere he's been. You know, I think that's the sell there. Beamer, I think, with the staff and, you know, the guys. And, look, I said this on the board today. I, I, you know, Will Muschamp on paper had the best staff in the history of the school as far as resume and pedigree and SEC experience and all that. All of them have been at some big-time programs, you know, and, and, and a lot of times it didn't work out. Um, you know, the two national recruiters of the year got hired and, you know, they were, you know, did, didn't have a didn't have a positive impact and in some cases a negative impact on recruiting when it comes to the receivers. So, you know, I, I think that what you want is you want guys that are coordinators that when you on game day, that's going to give you an advantage. They, they can keep up. They're not going to get completely out coached. There's going to be days in the SEC and against Clemson or whoever where you're going to get out coached. You know, and I don't care if you're Steve Spurrier, Nick Saban, whoever, there's going to be days when that happens, okay? But you want guys that are going to keep you in it. You know, that you're not going to be like, well, <laughs> you know, because a lot of times it's like, well, you know, the past few years, well, if this doesn't work, what are we going to do, you know? 
Um, so you need guys at the coordinator spot to do that. Um, and I think that for position coaches, you need guys that are number one going to be able to develop their position um, individually, get guys better, you know, evaluate, put the right guys on the field. Uh, and then number two, you need recruiters that are going to be able to go out and, and, and get some, some battles and, and, and win them, uh, you know. And, and I think that when we talk about recruiting battles, sometimes we talk and we think, ah, Georgia and Clemson and Bama. And, and no, I, I think that there are some times where it's reasonable to expect Carolina to beat a, those, those schools on a kid. It's happened. Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens and, you know, going all the way back through the years. But I, I think, too, what you have to worry about at Carolina is, number one, you know, and this is what recru- this is the recruiting. This is the this is where the recruiting has to change. Number one, you can't let the North Carolinas of the world, the you know, come and beat you on South Carolina kids under any circumstance. Um, number two, you know, you can't let, you know, Georgia Tech on half the Georgia kids you go after beat you on quality Georgia kids that can help you win. Um, you know, you need to be able to beat those schools. You, you can't let when Florida State gets back whenever they do, can't let them come back in the state. You cannot under any circumstance – let Tennessee come back in the state. Uh, the, the battles against those schools, the Auburns of the world, you know, those are those are the important battles that you got to have guys that are willing to go do it. Uh, and then finally, you know, it's inexcusable when you have a hole at a position like wide receiver and you're looking around at different schools and you see South Carolina kids who you didn't even offer playing at a pretty high level in a Power Five conference. Um, and then you look at the Zay Flowers that, you know, you had an alum coaching him that was going to help you get him, you know, playing up for Boston College. He's one of their best players. Um, and you let him go all the way to Boston. He's got to fly over your campus every time he goes. That, that's recruiting malpractice. So you've got to have people that make sure that, you know, you squeeze every ounce of talent out of the state that you can. Um, and Muschamp's staff, I thought, early on did that. Uh, and then, then maybe let, let it slide at certain certain positions, certain positions. Um, and look, some of these South Carolina kids, when they come out, they're not going to be perfect. You know, they're not going to be maybe as polished as some Georgia kids or whatever. But I'll tell you this, number one, South Carolina kids have a good hit rate. If you look around the country and you see the players from this state that have gone to the NFL that have gone elsewhere or that are good college players that have gone elsewhere, that they have a good hit rate. And then number two, a lot of them are developmental. You know, you, you got to kind of see what they are and then develop them. Um, you know, so, so that's important when you're, when you're talking about recruiting for the staff. Uh, number two is what Richard says, what would a realistic goal for next year's Gamecock football team be in terms of wins and losses, assuming we go back to the regular schedule? I'm going to say get to a bowl. I say that most of the time there's a new head coach. Uh, I think I said it with Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz, and Will Muschamp. And Lou didn't get there his first year, but that team had a lot of injuries. And, you know, he talked about the culture. He had to, he had to change that from year one to year two. Um, and, and then Spurrier scraped together uh, a winning year and, and did some pulled some upsets and did some big things. Uh, and then, you know, quite frankly, uh, I think Will Muschamp's best coaching job was that first year at South Carolina when – you know, that that team really should not have been a six-win football team. You know, they really should have been four and eight, maybe even three and nine. Uh, and they they were tough as nails early on defensively, bending but not breaking. You know, salvaged out the wins over East Carolina and Vandy. And then Jake took over, and they were and the receivers got healthy, and, and Rico got healthy, and they were able to score. And they were able to eke it out, you know. Um, and I think that's what you're looking for in your first year is you just want to be uh, heading back in the right direction. I mean, South Carolina could finish – look, they could, they could go two and eight, still get to a bowl, and go two and nine. You know, so, so four and eight, ten, six and 17. I mean, they could be – you know, the losses have mounted. And so I think what you're looking for first year – and, and I think, you know, depending on what happens with the roster, they'll be capable of doing it and the schedule. Because, you know, if you throw a – I don't know who's on the on the West rotation beyond Auburn. I think it's Arkansas. Um, but, but they need a home game, so it may go beyond that. 
Uh, you know, depending on who's on the schedule, you know, and what happens with that, the order and all that good stuff, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question to get six wins. I mean, you know, Carolina's got to get it back to the point where Missouri, Vandy, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, you're winning those games. And then you got, you know, three non-conferences that you should win. You know, that's six or seven right there. Thank you, Richard. And it says, Richard's a new listener, so I appreciate you listening. Eric says, hope you're well, JC. I see a lot of talk that if Beamer's the choice, he could bring Garrett Riley from SMU as his OC. Do you see a scenario where they do something similar to LSU where he comes as passing game coordinator and Bobo's the running coordinator and he calls the plays? I get, you know, maybe, I, I, you know, the co-coordinator thing, I'm not sure of, but if Bobo's calling the plays, then I, I, I think that's smart. Now, if Bobo isn't calling the plays and Riley is, I don't, I don't know that Bobo's going to stick. He's a play caller. And I think he's a good one. Uh, and if you and if you want to evolve his offense with some concepts from, you know, Lincoln Riley, Garrett Riley, the Big Twelve, whatever, more power to you. I mean, he's got so much now that he does already. I'm, I'm he. It's not like he's stuck in one kind of mode. Um, that's the beauty of the Mike Bobo offense. I think is that you can do anything. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to give that a maybe because I don't know exactly what Shane's going to do on offense if he gets the job. All right, so court caught question from Derek. JC, I was wondering if Frank had to schedule non-conference games. Is this a rule? Can we just skip it and go right to league play? It kills our tourney chances. <laughs> Football game an hour away. So, uh, so obviously Derek said this right before the uh, Liber- – right after the Liberty game. You know, college basketball, it's weird. You know, and I saw Richmond beat Kentucky at Rupp the other day. Because you have these mid-majors that have played together for a while. And, and quite frankly, South Carolina did not play well in the opener against Liberty. I think they kind of got a little ambushed. But um, probably it would have been better to play Northwestern, who backed out. But, you know, Liberty's a really good team. And, and I think, you know, what happened happened. I, I do think them rallying to beat Tulsa, uh, who's a good, you know, team from the American Conference, which is – uh, kind of a, they call it the Power Seven in basketball. Uh, the American and Big East are good leagues. So, you know, yeah, Frank, yeah, you do have to schedule a lot of conference games. And, and, and unlike football, where the athletic department usually decides that years in advance in consultation with the coach, um, you know, so you have Spurrier scheduling games, must champ coached, and must champ schedules games that the new coach will coach. But, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, basketball, the coach actually has to get on the phone and do it. So it's interesting. A little more um, little more control over that. But Gamecocks this weekend at Houston, big game, big game. All right, so Gamecock Review rolls in and ask about Neil Brown. Uh Says he's only beaten one Power Five school with a winning record. Only been two years. All right, so West so West Virginia. Okay, so I'll explain this real quick because Neil Brown's not going to get the job. But Dana Holgerson's last year at West Virginia, they had a bunch of good players, and then they all left, and he left and went to Houston, and Brown was left with very little, you know, by comparison to how West Virginia has been. Um, and five and seven last year, five and three this year. I think it's a pretty good job, and, and he did a good job at Troy. Um, I tell you what, I, you know, if Kentucky ever opens, watch Neil Brown for that one. That's his alma mater, um, I think. Alma mater, yeah. Noah says, uh, JC, hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving with the coaching search. Hopefully near and end, I'm all in on Shane Beamer. Uh, but I'll get behind most candidates behind besides Caslin's buddy, Jeff Mockin. My question is, what kind of schemes would Beamer implement on offense and defense? I think he wants to be unique and different on both sides. It's hard to specifically say that without seeing the staff because those staffs or those coaches are going to have a track record. Um, but I think he wants to be different. I think you have to be different at South Carolina. I don't think you can go, um, you know, do what what other schools are doing. And, and I think to a certain extent in the SEC, we're going through a time of change and and change on offense has been really good. It's been really good for LSU. It's been really good for Alabama. 
it's been really good for a lot of schools that have, that have made that jump. Um, you know, and, and I think South Carolina's offense this year, uh, even though the stats are not good, um, you know, considering their issues at receiver and, and, and all that, uh, and and the you know nothing but SEC game schedule, I think the Gamecocks, you know, have worked miracles a bit, you know, with that with Bobo's play calling, and I think part of that reason is he is a little different with kind of the things he's tried to do this year. Um, so, so as far as type of schemes, I don't know yet, Noah, but but I do know they're going to be different, and, and I think that's a good thing if Shane gets the job. Dale says, JC, after hearing you push the big spur, and you had a 75% off special. Um, I tried to give it a try. I figured now was as good a time to try it out. I've only been a member a few days, and I'm loving it. You and your team have some great articles, and there's really some good insight. I really appreciate you running the special, giving us listeners a heads up. Thanks, Dale. As for the podcast, um, I'm sure you've been busy chasing stories, but it's Wednesday. And your last podcast was Friday. Been refreshing my podcast. You can't keep us hanging like this in all seriousness. Thank you for what you do. Keep up the great work. Yeah, Dale, I hope hope you listen to me and Mike, and I hope that uh, hope that you uh, enjoy this one today. Two more. Noah says, uh, if Shane Beamer's the next coach, what would you think about Bobby Bentley as the offensive coordinator? I would love it. Um, I wish there was some old Burns High School tape I could show you guys, but I can't find any on the internet. Um, and Derek Mason is a defensive coordinator. Like, look, I, I think Derek Mason, you know, I, I, you know, my whole questions with him, my, my question with him has always been, you know, at Vandy when he took over the defense, they didn't really get much better. So, you know, th- those are my questions uh, about Derek Mason. But, I, you know, hey, he'd be a solid D.C. in my opinion. And he did have a tough job at Vandy. And he motivates his kids and they play hard. The staff wouldn't be flashy to the national media, but I think it could be solid. Yeah, and I think the national media, Bobby's kind of an unknown, but I think Mason would be a guy they could rally behind, especially like the SEC network. They know him. They love him, all that. Um, JC, Dr. Dr. Rob, good to hear from you, Dr. Rob. Thanks for all your hard work with the podcast and the Big Spur. Appreciate your – um. Appreciate your professional approach. Approach. Uh, approach. Sorry, I've got a distracting uh, text message. Uh, your professional approach to what you do. My question is: Do you have any insight as to why the O line plays regressed all season long? I look at the guys, and we have a ton of talent and depth and athleticism. I've watched them play great at times, but they seem to have gotten worse since the Auburn game. What's going on with this group? Is Wolf lost the room? Thanks for all you do. I, I don't know that it's that. Here's my deal with, with the with the O line. I, I think number one, you're going to run into some tank, some some situations. You know, just like Georgia did against Carolina last year, where you're going to get your butt whipped in this league because the defensive lines are too good. That being said, and I say that every year when we're talking about the O line. So that being said, I'm, I'm not going to just throw that out there and and, and whistle past the graveyard. I do think there's been some games they've been woefully inconsistent. I also think that the lack of receivers and passing games sometimes makes it tough, um, you know, in terms of keeping guys off. The quarterback doesn't have places to go. You know, sometimes you got to – if you got a bunch of guys around the line of scrimmage, you, you got to chunk it down the field and, and make them pay. Um, you know, I think against Missouri – um, had Doty played the whole game, it may be a different story because Colin Hill, what, what Missouri does is they sell out to stop the run and then dare you to pass. And, you know, they were crowding Hill and, and he's not mobile and all that. Um, I think against Georgia, it was just I mean, Georgia's got one of the best defensive fronts in the country. I mean, it, you're just, you know, not many lines are going to, are gonna, you know, <laughs> against that bunch, you know. It's tough, and, and they showed up, but still, you know, the off, it wasn't really an offensive issue against Georgia so much. I, I think those guys competed hard. The defense just, you know, was so limited, and those guys busted big plays or whatever. Um, I, you know, this position, you know, it, it needs to get back to a uh, – I don't know. It needs to get back to being more consistent and playing the games like they have, you know, when they're able to run the ball and all that good stuff. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know that Wolf has lost the room. I, you know, I don't know if Wolf will be here next year, uh, but I do know there's some guys there that can make things happen. And um, I would have liked to have seen, you know, what would have happened this year had Carolina had, you know, three or four receivers that were really good, you know, and, and they were able to get in the gun and against a Missouri that's going to sell out to stop the run and crowd the line, um, you know, make them pay with the pass and all that good stuff. But, you know, because it, it just looks bad. Uh, like against Missouri, you're, you're, you're running tall sweep and you think you got it blocked and, you know, they just outnumber you on the edge. And somebody, one guy misses a block and negative four yards for Kevin Harris. Um, but the good news is there's players there. And I've seen worse offensive lines at South Carolina for sure on winning teams. So we'll see what happens there. All right. I got through every single mailbag question. That's awesome. And uh, here we are. And I appreciate it, each and every one of you. <laughs> for uh, for those. And uh, I'm going to drop this today on Thursday, and I'm going to come back tomorrow with a final word. So that's some consistency. And when, uh, when, when there's a coach, obviously, you know, I'm going to be right here, emergency podcasting and all that. I apologize. It's been, been so long, and, and I know that we've got different audiences for Big Spur versus this. Um, I, I'll tell you this, just to be honest, with the podcast – you know, it it's probably point oh 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 three percent of my income, if that. <laughs> and that's only if like part of the podcast goes on the CBS Sports video uh, that you see on the site. Um, I just do it because I love it, and I think it's a good vehicle and a good tool. And I think Gamecock fans deserve a variety of of podcasts and and things like that to listen to uh, about their team because. You know, you look at the local radio in South Carolina outside of Columbia, you know, the, the traditional radio, and, and there's just not a lot of options. You know, and, and then for those of you that live out of state, you know, God forbid, you're never going to hear about the Gamecocks. I mean, you may in Atlanta and Charlotte every now and then, but it's half the time going to be some snide comment, uh, you know, or something like that. So so that's why I do it. But, you know, when it, when when the money-making time happens, you know, we all have to prioritize things and – and that, that's kind of what I've had to do. And I've had every intention of doing one and, and dropping one. It's just, you know, you sit here seven to seven and you're like, man, it's seven o'clock and I still got this article to write. And my phone's ringing all day long. You know, sometimes like that stuff happens. But anyway, I'm going to get back to it. I promise. Um, all right. This has been Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, please check out the Big Spur if you haven't. Uh, please rate us five stars. We appreciate that again. Send those mailbag questions on in. I'll be back with the final word for the Kentucky game. Maybe the last final word of the year, if there's not a uh, bowl game, which uh, we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow too. But as for now, I'm signing off. Hope you guys are enjoying this search. Please know there are brighter days ahead. A new era could be upon us soon. Uh, And hang in there. We'll holla at you soon.